0: Hello and welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia around the nation, also broadcasting on Facebook Live. I hope you were doing well this morning. Uh, the phone number here, if you would like to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425, that is 877-97-ERICK, Eric. 877-973-7425. 7425 um, being the phone number you would want to use to call in. Of course. Now uh, we need to talk about the elections last night. The elections last night were very interesting and the media is rushing. The media is really rushing to blame Donald Trump for Matt Bevan's loss in Kentucky. Matt Bevin, the incumbent governor in Kentucky, going down to Andy Brashar last night. Uh, it, it, listen. You can't blame Donald Trump for what happened in Kentucky. There there are warning signs for the GOP around the nation last night, but Matt Bevin is not one of them. Matt Bevin is not one of the problems the GOP has to worry about. I want to play you some audio real quick. This is from Dana Bash at CNN. Uh, Well-respected. I like Dana very much. She's been talking to Republicans overnight. Listen to this.
1: I, was say, I just want to add to that, just like David is, uh, I'm getting uh, texts and emails from Republicans from Kentucky uh, to here in Washington who were focused on and working on this campaign, saying that if this is Bevan, he's a terrible candidate, he's disliked, he's the most unpopular governor uh, in, in the country, so on and so forth. But I did get a very candid text as well, to back up what David was just saying, somebody who works very hard in fundraising and strategy broadly in the Republican Party, saying that this. If Bevin does lose, it's a massive blow because the president went down there, the vice president, fundraisers, the Republican Governors Association, the Republican National Committee. And this person said, let's face it, a Republican president having to do rescue missions in Louisiana, Kentucky, and Mississippi means something is happening for the Republicans and Donald Trump, and it's not good.
0: Listen, uh, it's not good for the president in that he went to Kentucky and campaigned for Matt Bevin. But you do have to remember that Matt Bevin was at 30 percent of the polls and the president got him up to parity with Andy Bashar, who won uh, by several thousand votes in a close election. But there's a lot of of antipathy out there for the president from the media, and they're rushing to blame him for everything. This seriously, this is not one of the, the races you can blame on Donald Trump. I want to explain to you why you can't blame this one on Donald Trump. Um, you look at what happened in Kentucky overall last night. Take a holistic approach. If it, this was about an anti-Republican um, push because of Donald Trump, you would have seen other impacts in Kentucky uh, that weren't felt. So Bevin lost. In fact, no Republican in Kentucky has ever won a, a second term for governor. You got to go back to, uh, let's see, we had in in 2004, you had it was Ernie Fletcher was the governor in Kentucky. He was there for a term. You got to go back to World War II for the previous Republican governor. Uh, The Republicans flipped the attorney general seat last night. You have a statewide elected black Republican in Kentucky as attorney general now. You got to go back to World War II to find the last Republican attorney general in Kentucky. In fact, the Republicans were able to flip one other statewide seat in Kentucky. They now control every statewide seat in Kentucky other than the governor's mansion. Does that sound like voters were reacting negatively to Republicans when they, they, they won every seat, flipped two, but they lost the governor's mansion? Republicans in Kentucky now have a super majority in the Kentucky state legislature. D- does that sound like a Democratic issue? I mean, the Republicans in Kentucky will be able to uh, redraw lines for redistricting now, even if the governor vetoes those lines. The Republicans in Kentucky will be able to draw the lines with a supermajority. Does that sound like Democratic blowback against Donald Trump? No, the issue with Matt Bevin is that Matt Bevin was unpopular in Kentucky. I personally like Matt Bevin. I know Matt Bevin. Um, I supported Matt Bevin when he ran against Mitch McConnell. Therein was another problem for Matt Bevin, though. He's never been able to uh, patch things up with Mitch McConnell after running against him in 2014. I was totally happy to support Matt Bevin then. Uh, I, I was glad to support him. But he didn't win, and th- those relationships were never repaired. They all came together in a kumbaya moment uh, for the governor's race in, what, 2015. Uh, but Bevin was not anyone's favorite. The reason Matt Bevin got elected was because there, there was a nasty, nasty fight between the top two guys. Bevin was running in third, and the top two guys uh, tore each other apart, destroyed each other, and voters were so disgusted with them in the Republican primary, they went with Bevin, who stayed out of the fighting, and he, and he got the Republican nomination. But this year, Bevin was challenged in the primary, and he barely got by with 50% of the vote. I think he got by with 52% of the vote in a Republican primary, the incumbent Republican governor. That should tell you right there that Republicans had issues with Bevin, not with Trump. Trump won the state overwhelmingly. Trump is going to win the state in 2020. I mean, it's not even—it's a no-brainer. No one even has Kentucky on the radar. Uh, so all of the emotional energy being spent in Kentucky uh, on the claim that somehow Matt Bevin's loss was a problem for Donald Trump, that uh, Matt Bevin's losses on Donald Trump, it's not really true. And you can say it is, and you can say, well, we'll look at the suburbs. Yes, there are problems. But again, the GOP won every statewide office. They flipped two. They got a supermajority in the state legislature. If there was an anti-Republican animus uh, motivating voters in uh, Kentucky, you wouldn't have seen that, uh, but you did. So this suggests it really was about Matt Bevin. There are problems for Republicans, though, and we don't need to dismiss those problems. Even if we can say Bevin wasn't one of them. Uh, if you look at suburban voters, take take Richmond, uh, Virginia. Last night, Republicans lost control of the Virginia state legislature. Uh, they will play no part in redistricting. That means that the next 10 years will be a wandering in the wilderness for the Virginia GOP, if not longer than that. Virginia very much has become a blue state, uh, and it's not just the the Washington suburbs. Richmond, uh, which had been a Republican stronghold, is now very Democratic. Uh, They lost the suburbs. They lost suburbs in the Chesapeake Bay, Virginia Beach, Norfolk area as well. Republicans did not do well in those suburban areas, and they didn't do so because there is a Republican backlash by suburban voters who don't like the president. This is a, a foreshadowing to come, by the way, of what's happening in the suburbs in Georgia. In Georgia, female voters are increasingly identifying as Democrat, not Republican, and there will be issues in the Georgia suburbs that Republicans are going to have to deal with. Republicans are going to have to put in a very good ground game in Georgia, Um, in Mississippi. The race was not close. There was a lot of media speculation that it could be close in Mississippi. It was not close, uh, but Tate Reeves, the governor, the in, in, incoming governor there, did have to call in Donald Trump to help him shore up some support. Suburban areas, even in Mississippi, are trending, trending to the left. Uh, that's uh, again, that's a warning sign. When you look at some of the counties in Pennsylvania that had uh, local elections, Bucks County. You hear a lot about Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and in the the Philly area. It went overwhelmingly Democratic. There are some serious warning signs in suburban areas around the country, even down to municipal elections, that suggest the GOP has a bloodbath coming in 2020 in certain areas. You need to digest that. But, yeah, there there is an absolute but we also need to explain. What we are also seeing is that the, the, how do I want to say this? What we're also seeing is that states that are Republican are tending to stay Republican and states that are Democrat are tending to say Democrat now. The country really is divided. Now that that sounds nonsensical; cool. It sounds a lot like a nothing burger, but let me put it to you this way. Um, what we are seeing, for example, take the, the turnout metrics for the New York Times Siena poll in, in North Carolina. North Carolina has been reliably seen as a swing state, and yet North Carolina very much has become a Republican state for Donald Trump. According to the New York Times-CNN poll, Donald Trump wins North Carolina against any of the Democrats. When Not that long ago, North Carolina was seen as a... a, potential blue state people talked about it as a trending blue state uh republicans had that special election where they secured the congressional seat that had tended to lean republicans but the the suburbs in the charlotte uh north carolina area trended democrat except not all of them did areas that were trending democrat and you've got to pay attention to this if if you only pay attention to one thing in the entire show today please pay attention to this point Suburban areas that were trending Democrat rushed to become Democrat in the special election in North Carolina for the congressional seat. The Republican wound up winning areas that had been trending Republican rushed to become Republican. What I mean by that is that there have been gradual trends in certain suburban areas, making them more Democratic or more Republican. And Donald Trump, if anything, has served as a catalyst. Um, a random experiment for you, ran- Random, to- totally random experiment for you. Uh, if you take hydrogen peroxide, H2O2, yes, we're into chemistry now. You'll only hear chemistry talked about on the radio right here might destroy the ratings. I apologize to the local stations and program managers for engaging in a chemistry discussion. <laughs> um, take H2O2. That is hydrogen peroxide. Two atoms of, of hydrogen, two atoms of oxygen. Uh, you've got H2O2, hydrogen peroxide. You can use it to dye your hair. You can Hydrogen peroxide wants to get rid of the oxygen as rapidly as possible. If you expose it to light, expose it to heat, or... There are various substances you can use. My favorite is called potassium permanganate. It is a, a purple crystalline substance, and you drop just one little bit of potassium permanganate in hydrogen peroxide, and the whole thing just goes explosive. I mean, it, it bubbles up. It's, it's like the vinegar baking soda reaction. Um, except what's happening is, is not you're not creating, like when you add vinegar and baking soda together, you're getting new compounds. With hydrogen peroxide and potassium permanganate, you're not getting a chemical reaction there per se where it's creating new chemicals. It's just releasing the oxygen. The oxygen wants to go away anyway. If you leave hydrogen peroxide in the sunlight, the oxygen is going to leach away and you're going to get water out of it. Uh, it but you add the potassium permanganate and it escalates, and it, it serves as a catalyst for the pre existing reaction that was going to happen anyway. Well, we're seeing that Donald Trump, just like the potassium permanganate, you drop it in the hydrogen peroxide, and, and the whole thing just fizzes up, and all the oxygen goes away. If you stick a match to it, it explodes. It's actually pretty awesome. I don't recommend you try it at home. When I was a kid, I used to. I had this side venture as a kid where I would fill up balloons with hydrogen or oxygen, and and my friends and I would blow them up, but that neither here nor there. Um but it's a catalyst. It's it's a catalyst reaction. It, it escalates something that was already going to happen, a, a chemical reaction that was already going to happen. The catalyst speeds it up. Donald Trump is serving as a catalyst. Uh, Donald Trump is, you drop him into suburban areas and you immediately see that Hydrogen peroxide fizzing up reaction separating out between the the oxygen and the water. Uh, You see it separating out the Democrats from the Republicans. You drop Donald Trump in the middle of a suburb and suddenly, boom, the suburb either turns bright blue or the suburb turns bright red. And we saw that in North Carolina and there were more Republican areas than there were Democratic areas, and that helped the Republicans. And we're seeing that translate differently around the country. For example, in the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio is a state the Republicans must win. No Republican has ever won the presidency without winning Ohio. And we're seeing Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio, and Dayton, Ohio, suburbs that had been slightly Republican rapidly turning blue because of Donald Trump. We see this in the metro Atlanta area. I'm in Macon, south of Atlanta. Uh, I have a talk show, separate talk show, in Atlanta. I, I deal with Atlanta a lot. I know Atlanta politics. And we're seeing this in Cobb County and Gwinnett County. With Gwinnett County, what's very interesting is it's not happening as rapidly as Cobb County. And part of the reason is demographics. Gwinnett County has a high Asian and Hispanic population, and Asian and Hispanic populations are not trending as Democratic as rapidly as black populations in Cobb County are making Cobb County, which is very interesting. When you look at the demography, and this bears out, this bears out in the the Siena New York Times upshot um, polling that they did, that uh, other demographics that typically means Asian voters, they're not as rushing to become Democrat And even Hispanic voters, Hispanic voters have a real shot at becoming Republican. This is a very interesting setup for the GOP, and it's playing out differently in different suburbs around the country. What's so nerve-wracking for Republicans, however, is look at Pennsylvania, where the president won Pennsylvania. But some of the areas that voted for Donald Trump in 2016 against Hillary Clinton are rapidly becoming more Democrat, including some of the Trump voters. The saving grace for Donald Trump in the poll trends, in these swing districts, in these swing states is this. A lot of voters are voting Democrat except for Donald Trump. These are voters with no institutional partisan loyalty to Republicans. They're loyal to Donald Trump. Donald Trump, if anything, is is operating in election years like Barack Obama. Barack Obama could never get Democrats to turn out to vote for his people in off-year elections. But they always turned out for him and voted for his party when he was on the ballot. And Donald Trump is doing that right now. There is a difference, though, that is something the Republicans are going to have to deal with, if we're honest about. And that is... While Republican areas, pre-existing Republican strongholds turned very bright red during the Obama years, the purplish areas, they didn't split apart and catalyze. They stayed kind of purplish. We've gotten to a point now with our politics in this country is so divided – What we're seeing is that in in places like Bucks County, Pennsylvania, the Cincinnati suburbs, Dayton, Ohio suburbs, the Charlotte, North Carolina area, the the Roswell, Sandy Springs, uh, Lawrenceville and Gwinnett County areas in in Georgia, the Dallas and Houston areas in Texas and the like, is that those purplish areas are now themselves splintering very definitively between red areas and blue areas, and more often than not, there are larger blue areas than red areas. That's a long-term trend against the Republicans, and they're going to have to figure out a way to combat that. I'm back. Welcome. Uh, if you want to be a part of the program, it is 877-97-ERIC, 877-97-37425. Hang on. i got to find this audio. I thought I had it, and uh, it disappeared on me. Where is this? Uh, here we go. Um, you all need to hear this audio. Uh, I am a big proponent of history. I think we all need a better sense of history. I think that if we don't get a good sense of history, we are bound to repeat history. In fact, we see patterns throughout history where people make the same mistakes and those mistakes lead to the same results. And we as a society absolutely have to be cautious on uh, the, the idea that we don't need to learn history. There's nothing to learn from history. There are oftentimes people who say that uh, there's so much happening now, we need to be mindful of now. But, y'all, I want you to listen to this. Um, this is on uh, Good Morning Britain. This is something happening in Great Britain. And uh, millennials millennials are feeling triggered when they have to learn about world war Two, listen to this uh, hang on a second uh, let me reroute here we go who says it's imperative it's taught in schools and freddie bentley from the first series of channel Four's the circle it says it's not
2: good for children's mental health so why do you think that fred firstly i want to start off by saying that um, i find it um, very like obviously it was a um, hard situation in world war Two, and i don't anyone to think that I'm being disrespectful in that way whatsoever. However, I will stand by the point that I don't think it's as educational in the way that we, you know, there's so many problems going on in the world at the moment, like Brexit that's not taught in schools, and um, climate change, which is a situation that I feel like we should be aware of. And, you know, when I left school, I felt like it hit me like a ton of bricks, because I didn't know anything in general life. I felt like I was going out to the world... I've completed my GCSEs. I felt like I knew what I was doing in life. But all of a sudden, it hit me because I didn't know how to save for a mortgage. So I feel like instead of... you know, focusing so much on our history and holding on to this past mm. that we can let it go a little bit. I'm not saying get rid of it totally, but let go of it a little bit and replace it with a subject that is going to be beneficial to us it feels in more the future. Relevant. Yeah, more relevant. Good point, isn't it? does it mm. really matter? World War, the First World War, the conflicts that have taken place, and, I totally and the fight for freedom that you and I enjoy. And I totally get that, but I don't think it needs to be in in, in put in such a young way to young children, like. Men-
0: uh <laughs> he's afraid it will hurt their feelings and he wants listen, I, I do understand the relevance in public education of learning skills. Uh, how, how do you get a mortgage? How do you save for a mortgage? Things like that. Although if you're coming out of high school, you typically, you can learn that stuff in college. And this guy apparently has is 22 and been through college and still didn't pick those life skills up. So I don't exactly know how that's going to help him. Uh, but the idea that there's nothing to learn from history, there's actually a ton to learn from history. In fact, it's one reason, particularly in war colleges, you have to study uh, wars of the past. You can learn about the generals. You can learn about their thinking, their strategy. You can learn from history things that you can't learn From the present. For example, to understand uh, why there is a Brexit, uh, you do need to understand the history of Western Europe. To understand why there is a European Union, you need to understand the history of Western Europe. You need to understand those things to be able to put the present in proper context. This is one of the biggest issues I have with progressives these days, and and it's a historic one. Jonah Goldberg has written about this a lot, is that they have no sense of history. They feel no need to learn history because they intend to change the future, so why be wedded to the past? The problem is they often change the future in exactly the ways people in the past did, and had they learned from those people in the past, they wouldn't have made the same mistakes in the future. You've got to have a sense of history, people. Yes, please. Uh, go to com every day, and you can call in here. Phone lines are now open. Uh, 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Kamala Harris has new legislation she's going to file. She's going to campaign on it. She thinks you'll really like it. Are you ready? She wants to set the school hours of the nation from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's right. So every child will go to school from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah. She believes it will fix a misalignment, they call it, a misalignment of the school day and the work day that, that experts say Contributes to 55 billion dollars in productivity losses each year. You're working all day, so your child should too. This is from Kira Vote. At uh, my goodness, what on earth? Um, momentary distraction. Uh, momentary aside here. Da 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 da. da. Oh, nope. Okay. Nope. I, I just. I'm just. Never mind. I'm not going to say what I was about to say. Uh, the mismatch between the school day and the work. No, I can't say that because I'll get in trouble on the radio. And you people were lecturing me yesterday about something I said on radio. The mismatch between the school day and work day presents a real burden to working Americans with families. And Senator Kamala Harris has a new bill that seeks to correct it. The majority of school days end around 3 p.m., two hours before the end of 70% of parents' work days. And most schools don't have a way to make up the difference. Fewer than half of all elementary schools and fewer than a third of low-income schools offer after-school care. Beyond that misalignment... Schools shut down on average for 29 days during the school year, the majority of which are reserved for professional development, parent-teacher conferences, and the myriad vacations and minor holidays the federal government doesn't recognize. That's a full two weeks' worth of days more than what the average American has in holidays, vacation, and paid leave combined. And then, of course, there's summer vacation, a two- to three-month. Right- Get it I've started saying that a lot lately to, to capture, just to capture the, the French-like passion of the resistance movement. Uh th- these, these this is nuts. This is this is so essentially Kamala Harris wants to restructure she's calling it quote aligning school and work schedules in an economic growth and child developmental strategy. Ay 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 ay. ay. Um kids should not be in school all day. If we're going to restructure, let let me throw out a wild, crazy idea. If we're going to restructure society, why don't we restructure in such a way that it incentivizes one parent staying home? Why not do that? You know, the real gap between the wealthy and the poor is parental involvement. Now, I know lots of rich people who pass their kids off to third parties to take care of and they have screwed up kids because they don't play a role in their kids' lives. But uh, every single study that has ever been conducted out there in, in any sort of scientific, realistic way has shown repeatedly that kids raised in a two-parent – I know this is controversial, but it's true heterosexual – two-parent, heterosexual nuclear household – outperform all other kids there is some more recent studies that suggest that as society gets more used to having homosexual couples that that gap between two parent nuclear households that are straight and gay is is disappearing uh but it's too soon to actually tell that that that's an anomaly in the studies because there are so few uh to study uh homosexual couples with kids right now the data all strongly suggests a two-parent nuclear household that is heterosexual where one parent stays home, and it doesn't matter whether it's the mom or the dad. In fact, there are a number of studies out there that show that kids who have a dad that stays home with them wind up being healthier overall than anyone else because dads are more worrywarts than moms. Believe it or not, yes, dads are worrywarts compared to moms when it comes to raising kids. In fact, there have been a couple of studies out in the last decade that have shown that kids in single families do better when it's the dad raising them than the mom. Because the dad is much more on top of, oh, you got sniffles, we need to go to the doctor. And that's not to disparage moms at all. I'm just telling you what the studies show. But it's beyond dispute that a two-parent heterosexual nuclear household is the most stable environment to raise children. And the children raised in two-parent heterosexual nuclear households are more likely to, in turn, raise children in two-parent heterosexual nuclear households without divorce. The children of divorced parents tend to divorce. The children of parents who don't get divorced tend to stay married. The children of parents who regularly engage in religious activity tend to be children who grow up, get married, and stay married. Religion and going to church actually build stable families. People who take their faith seriously tend to take the raising of their children according to their morals seriously. Surprise! I mean, none of this should be new to anyone out there. Uh, Kamala Harris, to, to take this approach of, okay, both parents are working all day, so let's make the kids work all day. It, it's a stupid idea to begin with. Uh, I, who, is, who is telling Kamala Harris that these are good ideas? Do you really think the majority of parents in America who have come to terms with the idea of their kids may go home early from school, the latchkey kids, the whole, you know, in the 1980s, uh, when I was growing up in in the 80s and the early 90s, the latchkey kid was a new phenomenon, and the media obsessed over latchkey kids. You know what latchkey kids are? Latchkey kids were parents. Uh, their boomer parents, more often than not, their boomer parents. Their boomer parents were going into the workforce and having kids. The moms wanted to work. It was female equality. They're going to have jobs too, and so they gave the kids keys, and the kids could drop themselves off at home after school the latchkey kids they could let themselves in they had keys to the house they knew how to use it it was a big thing particularly in the in the late 80s in the late 80s, man, after school specials, they were all about the latchkey kids. In the early 90s, about the latchkey kid on the way home and, and somebody offers him drugs and what do you do? And and I remember one of the after school specials was the, the latchkey kid goes home with his bro who, who buys him drugs and they get high while mom and dad are gone and they have a terrible situation and one of them gets sick and they don't know what to do and they all freak out and, the, and little Johnny never does that again. The latchkey kids. So in, in, in Kamala Harris's, it, it, we're going from the latchkey kids to, to the imprisoned kids. Uh, they're, they're let out at 6 p.m. when the parents come and pick them up. No more vacations for you, little Johnny, because mom and dad can't take it, so you can't take it. Listen, and I don't mean to make light of the situation of parents who are in situations where they do have to work. And their kids take a vacation. What do they do? Does the kid have to come sit at the work with them? I know people who've had to do this. I know people who've had to bring their kid to the office. And I'm sympathetic to that. But do we need to disorder and upend all of society and all of our patterns and practices of society and educating our kids to accommodate parents who work until 6 p.m. when the kids get out of school at 3? We've been doing this for 30, 40 years. If not longer. What, what what I'm what I'm struck by here though, and you know honestly, uh, so those of you who got the email, I sent out an email uh, of what the show is going to be. If you want it, so you can see the kind of the the order of things that I'm going to talk about, you'll realize that I never ever follow the order of the show. Those are just to help me think. I want to talk about these certain things. Uh, here's how I'm going to arrange them. Here's how I'm going to put them in order. I was not going to talk about this, and then this hit. So so this show has flexibility. If you want that email, by the way, text show to three three seven seven seven, and you can get it. Uh, What was I supposed to be talking about right now? According to the outline, I was supposed to be talking about Epstein and Weinstein. We'll get to Epstein and Weinstein here in a minute. I I think this is now hitting the wire, and, and this is relevant, and we need to talk about this. The collapse of the two-parent heterosexual nuclear household in this country is one of the chief uh, things that has undermined the education system and the economy of this country. A two-parent nuclear household where one parent stays home and helps raise the children, does homework with them, provides for the family while the other goes off to work and works. Uh, we consider that a bastion of patriarchy, and that is bad. If dads can work and earn money, moms should work and earn money too, except what we do is is this is a, a very selfish mindset that ignores the kids. Someone needs to raise the kids, and what we're finding more and more is that Uncle Sam has essentially indoctrinated so many people into believing Uncle Sam can raise the kid in a government school while you're off at work, except for those first five years, well, we're going to throw them in some sort of daycare or care where they never build a relationship that is stable with their parents. And now what we find is that those of us who actually took the time to, to work extra, work extra hard, so one of our spouses could stay home and raise the kids, we're considered bad. We're privileged and that privilege is bad and we can't be listened to. You see how all of, of progressive society is, stigmatizes that which is wholesome and good and normal. Uh, Gertrude Himmelfarb talked about uh, this, that the the bourgeois family is is considered bad, that 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 which is good is considered deviant. That which is deviant is now considered good. That which goes against the way we should raise people in society is now good. That which suggests we should raise children in certain ways, that's now bad. Having a parent who stays home with the kids is a good thing. This is not to disparage the people who can't. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who hear this. They're like, you're you're attacking me. I, I can't stay home with my kids. I'm not attacking you. It is not my intent to attack you, but it is my intent to tell you that if a parent can be incentivized to stay home with the child, that's what we should do. You know, if I were king for a day, if I were king for a day, uh, like the cowardly lion, if I were king for a day and I could restructure tax law, just snap my finger and say, this is going to be it now, let me tell you what I would do. I would impose on all Americans a 15% flat income tax. Every penny you earn, fifteen every dollar you earn, 15 cents of it would go to the federal government. Everything. Across the board. From your first dollar... 15 cents, there would be no deductions, there would be no exemptions. We would start it at $40,000, so people who earn less than 40000 you wouldn't you wouldn't have to pay any taxes. But starting from $40,000, 15% of your income would go to the federal government. No deductions, no, no exemptions, 15%. It would be very simple. Fill it out on a postcard, take all the money you earn, capital gains, income, investments, you name it, and 15% of that goes to the federal government. But if you have children under the age of 18 and one of the one of the you're you're filing jointly, you're married and you're filing jointly and one spouse stays home, your tax rate would be 10% with a deduction for your children. So it would actually be less than 10%. No deductions, no exemptions, nothing for your average American, 15%. That money would go, 10% is good enough for God, but we're talking government here. You got to give them 15% because they're not as efficient as God. But if you have kids and you've got a stay-at-home mom or dad, doesn't matter mom or dad, who's not earning income outside the house, then your income is 10% and you get a deduction for each child you have. The more children you have, the less you pay in taxes. We need to incentivize population growth, and we need to incentivize two-parent heterosexual nuclear household stability. For a long-term stable society, that's what we should do. Now, that's a hugely controversial idea. It is hugely offensive to a lot of people. A lot of people hear this and you think you're putting down single parents, you're putting down uh, working women, you're putting down working families. I can't help you with your emotions if you're offended by what I'm saying. I'm just telling you that the reality is uh, a a mom or a dad who stays home with the kids has a full-time job, and it's kind of absurd to me that the entire rhetoric of this working moms thing uh, ignores the fact that a mother who stays home with her children or a father who stays home with his children is busting their rear end every day. The modern American homemaker, housewife, househusband is probably the least appreciated worker in the United States because people look at that person and presume they do not work. A number of years ago, because of my wife's health, we decided that it was time for me to do what I could and work as much as I needed to, to earn the money so that my wife would not have to go to work. And I wound up working three jobs. So that my wife could stay home with the kids and raise the kids. And I was burning the, the candle at both ends. And I do not have a memory of my oldest, the first year of her birth. Very few memories of her, her first year, because I was traveling so much for work. But she got that quality time with her mom. And at that time, her mom was still working. when we had her second, Christy stayed home. Uh, And our kids are great. And I feel sorry for our friends who weren't in a position to be able to do that. And it wasn't that I was making an extraordinary amount of money at a job. It was that I was working three jobs to make it happen because we believed very firmly in this. If Kamala Harris wants to restructure society, that's what she should do she shouldn't be punishing the kids because the parents have to work all day by telling the kids they've got to stay at school all day and give up their vacations. She should be trying to find a way to make it easier for one parent to stay home with the kids. That's that's if we want to restructure society in any sort of way that that's exactly what we need to do. And the fact that that's controversial says all sorts of bad things about our current society. Have you heard of TikTok? Uh, you know, TikTok is... A, well, your kids probably know what TikTok is. It used to be called Musical.ly. Uh, it was discovered at some point that there was uh, there were pedophiles operating or some such. It, it wasn't good. And the site wound up having to clean up and, and purge a bunch of people. It wound up getting getting sold to the Chinese. I want to play... A soundbite from Senator Josh Howley of Missouri, who is really making um, the uh, social media companies um, really targeting them going after Facebook, Twitter. Uh, TikTok and and the like. Listen to him on TikTok, though. This is really relevant stuff.
1: You had a hearing today, and you had an empty seat for Apple and an empty seat for TikTok. Why didn't they show up?
3: Well, because they're afraid to answer questions. TikTok doesn't want to answer to the fact that they take direction from Beijing, that they are exposing our kids' data uh, to the Chinese Communist government, and Apple doesn't want to answer for the fact that they are storing information in China. They're storing encryption keys in China, and that, too, could expose Americans' text messages or emails to the Communist Party, these are major security risks, Martha. And both of these companies need to be held accountable.
0: Yeah, um, you know. So Apple, just so you understand, they're holding security keys for Chinese citizens in China to comply with Chinese law. Uh, TikTok goes beyond that, and you need to understand this. There's actually a story out today. So, well, uh, TikTok. Uh, my kids talk about vines. Twitter had this this site where you could post funny 15 to 30 second videos and it took off, but then Twitter closed down Vine and TikTok kind of replaced it, where these viral videos kids make doing stupid things in 15 to 30 seconds, oftentimes it's uh, lip syncing to songs, uh, doing funny stunts, things like that. Uh, Kids love TikTok. And TikTok is controlled by the Chinese government, uh, by the communist Chinese. And there is lots and lots of data to suggest that they are monitoring your children and building profiles of your children on TikTok. Um, What they're doing, the the various algorithms to detect what they look like, what they're doing um, is TikTok potentially on some devices spying on kids and and using the microphones. Um, TikTok is essentially a tool of the surveillance state of China. And Josh Halley recognizes this. And look, I've been critical of Halley on some of his positions on on tech companies, including Facebook. I I think it's been crazy, uh, some of the things he's done there. But going after TikTok, I think uh, he and Tom Cotton of Arkansas both – are on this kick about TikTok and their right to do so. We should be deeply suspicious of the Chinese government controlling technology companies like this, particularly when we know they're using it to build uh, algorithmic profiles on American citizens using these platforms. On top of that, we now know that the Chinese government is using TikTok in a form of censorship. So, for example, if you were to get on TikTok, you would not see very many videos of the riots in Hong Kong. Particularly if you're in China, you won't see any of them, but they downplay uh, things that are critical of China on TikTok. Across the globe, they do that, by the way. They downplay. uh, There's a report out I saw yesterday that they downplay. Um, profiles and things if you've got politicians on TikTok or public uh, personalities who are critical of China it's harder and harder to find their content on TikTok that the Chinese manipulate the algorithm they manipulate the content they do it to advance the interests of communist China your child should not be on TikTok, you should not be on TikTok, in fact at our house is blocked, Um, I've got this device called a Circle, Uh, it's Disney branded, Um, I think it's actually made by Netgear, it looks like something Netgear would make, and we can regulate the access access of the internet for our children how much time they have what websites they can look at what apps will function how to block them uh and we put out a blanket ban on snapchat and and tiktok i don't want my kids on either of those in our house in fact at my house you can't even get on twitter unless you're me um i can get on twitter because i've i've gotten around it uh, you can get on facebook and instagram in our house and that's about it I am increasingly concerned about my kids and their screen time, and I am increasingly concerned about the behavior of kids on these social media sites, particularly when they think that it evaporates into the ephemera. You, you put something up on Snapchat and kids presume that it goes away, and that's not necessarily the case. Not necessarily the case at all we got to be more careful about these things. And Holly is right to be raising this issue on China. Now, when we come back, we need to get into impeachment. We also need to get into some Georgia news. Interesting what uh, Delta is doing here in Georgia. And Kanye West, every song on his album is now on the Billboard 100. And you notice how the media just can't bring themselves to talk about it? We would still be talking about Taylor Swift's new album if she had come out with an album. But Kanye West comes out with a, a Jesus album. And the media just can't bring themselves to talk about it. We should talk about it. But before we do anything, impeachment, the Sondland testimony, and the whistleblower, and why we need to know who the whistleblower is at this point. Y'all, I would like to thank Quip for sponsoring this week's show. Y'all, I love my Quip toothbrush. I have bragged about it forever. I continue to brag about Quip because it is a great toothbrush. In fact, I took a trip this past weekend. My Quip went with me, obviously. It goes with me everywhere. And... I really do get two minutes of brushing my teeth. Now, if you're not familiar with quip, quip is actually, it's the size of a regular toothbrush. It works on two AAA batteries. They send you the battery or one AAA battery. They send it with the quip and it just works. Your toothbrush gives you great sonic vibrations for two minutes. It pulses for every 30, every 30 seconds it pulses so that, you know, to switch it around in your mouth to, to get an even brushing. My dentist, my orthodontist, they both think I've been bleaching my teeth. I haven't. I've just been brushing really, really well because the quip vibrations are great to clean and the pulse makes sure that I know I, I've got two minutes to go. It turns itself off after two minutes and it makes sure that I'm getting an even cleaning by, by pulsing every 30 seconds as I switch it around. If you haven't quite, tri- qu- bleh, haven't tried quip, let me slow down. If you haven't tried Quip, you should. You really actually should. Uh, It's a great toothbrush. I've tried the $100 supersonic toothbrushes. Nothing comes close to the Quip toothbrush. Nothing has incentivized me to get a two-minute brush into my teeth like Quip. You'll find that's the case with you, my wife, my kids. We've all got Quips. Quip starts at just $25. You can get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. It's a simple way to support the show. It's a simple way to get a better toothbrush. You go to getquip, G E T Q U I P dot com slash Erickson, and you'll get a refill free. Your brush head, every three months, they'll send you a new one. Your first one will be free. Go right now to getquip, G E T Q U I P dot com slash Take advantage of this great deal. Thanks to Quip for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show around the nation here in Georgia on Facebook Live. You can pretty much get me everywhere. You can go to theresurgent.com as well. You should follow me on social media at E.W. Erickson. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. E.W. Erickson. E-W-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. And you can call me if you want to call and chat this morning. Phone lines are open. 877 97 Eric. That's seven, three, seven, four, two, five. Uh, if you weren't here the first hour, we, we already covered the Bevan race, the, uh, the Virginia race. We'll circle back to them, but we need to talk about impeachment right now. Uh, and I want to talk about it from several angles. Of course, there's the news of Gordon Sondland, who's now basically saying, yes, there was a quid pro quo when he gave it uh, to the Democrats. But um, I, I want you to dwell for a moment, if you will, on uh, Mitch McConnell's statements uh, in the U.S. Senate yesterday regarding impeachment.
3: Now, we've not started discussing this. If the House acts, uh, I think the place to start would take a look at what the agreement was 20 years ago as a starting place and discuss how we may be able to agree to handle the process. After that, it's largely out of our hands, in the hands of the uh, Chief Justice who presides over it, who rules on motions. And... um, How long it goes on really just depends on how long the Senate wants to spend on it. I will say I'm pretty sure how it's likely to end. If it were today, I I don't think there's any question, it would not lead to a removal. So the question is just how long does the Senate want to take? How long do the presidential candidates want to be here on the floor of the Senate instead of in Iowa and New Hampshire? and all of these other uh, related issues that may be going on at the same time. It's very difficult uh, to ascertain how long this takes. I'd be surprised if it didn't end the way the two uh, previous ones did with the president not being removed from office. Yep. Uh,
0: Now, here is Mitch McConnell some more on the impeachment process.
3: This issue is still in the House. They've only just last week voted to take it up, and um, I thought it was noteworthy that not a single Republican voted to open this inquiry in the House. But for myself, I'm not going to start commenting on all of these episodes that occur on a daily basis that are unfolding over in the House, but to say, it seems to me, they still are not providing the same kind of basic due process rights that were provided both Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton. They can't even get the process right. So uh, beyond that, we'll wait until we get it here. It looks to me like they're hell-bent to do it, and that we will end up in an impeachment trial at some point. Yeah, the
0: there is going to be an impeachment trial. It is going to come. The Democrats are hell-bent on doing it, but they can't get the process right. He's, he's right on all this stuff. I, I read a tech blog called Stratechery by a guy named Ben Thompson. Uh, He lives in Taiwan, and he covers tech and the intersection of technology and business uh, and strategy for tech companies. It's actually a very thoughtful site. Um, A buddy of mine subscribes to a daily newsletter that Ben Thompson sends out. You can go to his his website if you're ever interested in stuff like this. I read a lot of tech blogs. Um, I'm very interested in technology and computers. I'm a huge Apple fan. Um, you can go to Stratecary, S T R A T, Strat E C H strat, E R Y, Stratecary. Um, basically, stra, Strat Tech E R Y. And he wrote a very interesting piece on tech and liberty where he largely defends Facebook. Uh, Facebook has decided it's not going to block the ads of politicians it's not going to uh if a politician puts up a blatant lie on facebook it's not going to stop the politician from putting it up on facebook and and um ben thompson argues that you know john Stuart mills who the founders relied on as they were drafting the first amendment uh, he, he was really one of the leading philosophers of his day said that there's value in the lie And so you shouldn't block the lie. There's actually value in the lie. The value in the lie is more often than not the sign of someone's character. Um, That you as a a civic-minded person engaged in society have obligations to think for yourself and determine for yourself if something's true or false. And if something is false and someone is blatantly lying to you, then you can get a sense of that person's character. There is a value to the lies being out there. And Facebook is taking that John Stuart Mill's position. But he writes this. He, He writes this. Um actually wrong paragraph. Yes, here it is. Um he says that it is problematic for him in his industry to take this position. It is problematic for him to write in defense of Facebook. Frankly, this is him writing, I find it deeply concerning that I might have any trepidation in writing that Facebook made the right decision. The unquestioned assumption of the media world in which I live is that Facebook is uniquely guilty of all manners of crimes, first and foremost, the election of one Donald Trump as president, never mind the questionable campaign choices of his opponent or the unrelenting focus on emails by the mainstream media, emails in general, being far more impactful, uh, the Russian intelligence operation. Think about that. Here's a guy in the tech press who has to note that it is um, it, it, it's it's concerning that he's got trepidation on saying what he thinks about Facebook. I I bring that column up because I it was on my mind when I was writing what I was writing last night, because I am very mindful. Uh, I have a lot of friends of mine who treat impeachment very seriously. They think the president's done something wrong now. They've never liked the president to begin with. And just because they're louder now doesn't mean there's more opposition to the president. But they don't like him. And I've got some friends who are Republicans who they voted for the president, but they they never really liked him. And they're thinking, hey, now this is the way to get rid of him. Let's do impeachment. And it is with trepidation that I say what I'm about to say because I know it's going to make a, a lot of people, some of whom are friends of mine, just angry with me. Oh, you're, just, you're, you're in the cult now, personality cult, whatever. Uh, people can't accept that people think for themselves. I think that impeachment is a political process. Impeachment is a political process, and the ballot box is a political process. And at this point, we're less than a year from the election. I have a hard time rationalizing it in my head. Given what we know about what happened in Ukraine, whether you think it's a quid pro quo or not, why should Congress do this when the voters can do it? Because it's the rule of law. I mean, they, they pound their fists on the table. Rule of law, rule of law. I mean, that, that's me pounding my fist on the table. That's what I hear from all my friends. If this isn't impeachable, nothing is impeachable. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. That to me sounds like the people who in 2016 said, if you're not voting for Trump, you're voting for Hillary. Well, I didn't vote for Trump and I didn't vote for Hillary and he still got elected. This whole this is the rule of law. and If you don't back impeachment, well, if this isn't impeachable, nothing's impeachable. The impeachment clause is meaningless. And aren't you a constitutional? That that sounds very much to me like the arguments uh, from people in 2016 who were yelling at you if you didn't want to back Hillary or or Trump. Uh, let me throw out a novel, crazy idea to you.
3: Just, just just just
0: this is gonna this is gonna rock the world of some of you. Some of you are gonna be really upset with me for saying it. What if Something that's impeachable two years ago is not impeachable now. Well, what if something that was impeachable two years ago is not impeachable now? Now, how could this be? The rule of law, the law hasn't changed. Yes, but impeachment's a political process, is it not? I mean, this is what we're hearing. See, they, I think both sides are trying to have it both ways. Uh, you've got people saying we need to hear the whistleblower. We need the whistleblower. Well, we got to know the whistleblower, and and the, the the other side is saying, well, this isn't a criminal proceeding. But the president has the right to face his accuser. Exactly, this isn't a criminal proceeding. If this were a criminal proceeding, the president would have the right to face the accuser. But this isn't a criminal proceeding. We have other first-hand accounts. We don't need the whistleblower. Yeah. Okay. Well, based on that logic, we don't need impeachment. If this is a political process, it's not the rule of law. It's, it's not a court process. We don't need impeachment either. We're a year, we're less than a year from the election. Let that political process choose it. See, w- what we're arguing over is which political process should we use to beat the president, essentially. And Democrats are saying right now, here and now, use this process, beat the president, convict him, throw him out of office, be done with it, and then we'll have the election. And I think more and more in my head, the way I think about this, let the voters do it gather up all the evidence you want gather up all the evidence uh, and make it a campaign spectacle in 2020 that the president engaged in a quid pro quo and he tried to to, to tar and feather joe biden in 2020 by pressuring a country to investigate him and make that your campaign the, the president can't be trusted with another term of power unaccountable unbeholden to the voters But if impeachment is a political process, and it is, and no one argues about that, everyone agrees it is a political process. If it's a political process, then you have to examine the political ramifications of it. And I think at this moment, this country is so divided, all of the people demanding that the president be impeached are the same people who demanded he never be elected. Not a single person has been convinced otherwise, and they're not even trying to convince those people. They're disparaging those people. They're ridiculing those people. People. they're highlighting the people in the cult saying well I depend on who he's sh- who he shot on the street before I decided whether or not he could have shot the person but that person of course was trying to work themselves out of the, the question that was a trap It was an absolute trap. The country is so divided and there are so many people who hate the president who will never give the president the benefit of the doubt and contrast that there are so many people who love the president and will never question the president. This should be decided by the voters, not by a group of Democratic congressmen and senators who have fundraised on the idea of impeachment. You see, here, here's the thing here. Let's just let me let me put it to you this way. Um, the grand jury, per se, is the House of Representatives, and it goes to a trial in the Senate where the Senate serves as jurors. Now, I can tell you, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, they've all, Bernie Sanders, they've all been out there saying impeaching. You had members of the House saying impeach the blankety blank, that that's what they were going to do. And so how can the president get a fair trial in the Senate when Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and the like have already come out and said he needs to be impeach she needs to be gone this is the way to do it the democrats respond well this is a political process it's not an actual process in a court of law exactly my point so too is voting at the ballot box at least then you have the voters who can make the case and then you have the voters deciding as opposed to a group of partisans in the senate who have been fundraising on the idea if you can't understand why half of this country looks at this process and thinks there's something broken about it and that it, it was uh, the, the 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 it was already rigged to begin with, you're not understanding the fundamental dynamics in this country right now. The country is supremely divided, and it's divided on things like this. And the impeachment process is only going to make it worse. There are ways to remove the president. You just got to wait until November of next year to do it. The people who want the president removed yesterday are the people who didn't want him elected in 2016. They haven't convinced anyone to go with them yet. You haven't convinced... I mean, the Democrats, for God's sakes, they haven't been able to convince some of those 19 Republicans leaving the House of Representatives who hate the president. Most of them hate the president. They don't like the president. And they're no longer beholden to the president. And there's nothing the president can do to them now because they're leaving. And the Democrats could not even convince them... To side with them. The Democrats, if they rush this, they're going to screw it up. And right now it appears they're rushing it. If they take their time, it's going to spill over into primary season next year for the Democrats. It may impact Iowa. It may impact New Hampshire. It's it's on Mitch McConnell's schedule. They do it after the Christmas holidays. It starts up the second week of January. If it takes five to six weeks, like the the Clinton impeachment did, they're going to be missing primaries. Because the senators who are running for president, they have to be in the Senate for the trial. They can't skip. The Senate sergeant at arms can round them up. So why disrupt the process? Why disrupt everything that's happening? And just settle this at the ballot box. Listen, I understand, and I don't want to make a lie to the people who say, this really is a rule of law situation. The president engaged in a quid pro quo. He tried to have a foreign country investigate a political opponent for 2020, and we should reject that. And that's why we need impeachment. I get the argument. I really do. But you could make the argument to voters in 2020 and have voters reject the president over that issue. What sets a better precedent, a, a partisan Democratic Congress, House of Representatives, that's been wanting to impeach the president since the day after he was elected in 2016 doing it, or the voters who elected Donald Trump rejecting him in 2020 for the same thing, which sends a stronger message in the future. And again, if we were doing this last year, wait for the election wouldn't be an issue. If we were doing this last year, waiting for the election We wouldn't have that argument because we would still be two years from it. But we're less than a year from the election. The Democrats waited this long to do it. Can they not wait less than a year to beat the president at the ballot box? A nation is divided. Our nation is divided. And there are half the nation looks at this as the Democrats' desperate attempt to oust the president. Let the voters try to do it in November of next year. You take that off the table. But the Democrats trying to do this is going to look to a lot of people like the Democrats can't win next year. And they're trying to sabotage the president now through a political process, not a judicial process, a political process where half the jurors in the Senate and half the House of Representatives has been out to get the president for four years. So it's not a fair process. And the Democrats say, well, it's not a court of law. It's a political process. Exactly. This is just a circular, argu- circular argument. Yes, exactly. It's a political process. So too is voting. Let the voters decide. We'll all be better off. At least that's my thinking on it. I'm back. Welcome. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Poor old Teresa Tomlinson here in Georgia. She's uh, getting really nasty with her staff. Now, one of the things you need to know about Teresa Tomlinson, who is running for the Senate here in Georgia against David Perdue, is She's being outraised by John Ossoff. In fact, John Ossoff on Twitter just now uh, is encouraging people to come hang out with him for 10 bucks and have a beer as opposed to the, the thousands of dollars to go with Donald Trump uh, to a fundraiser for David Perdue. Ossoff is attacking David Perdue for not having town halls around the state of Georgia for the last number of years. The reality is David Perdue has been around the state of Georgia a lot uh, in local businesses, uh, talking to local businesses, small businesses and people in various communities around the state. He just hasn't had formal town halls. Uh, And the reason that Perdue hasn't had formal town halls, you need to understand, is that there's been an organized movement uh, by Democrats to uh, show up at those town halls and disrupt them. And so David Perdue doesn't want his town halls disrupted. Uh, there's no sense in having a town hall if the Democrats are going to organize to disrupt them. So he hadn't had them. Instead, he's been traveling the state, visiting in small towns, um, going to local chambers of commerce, visiting with voters, going to churches, going to small businesses, meeting people, interacting, uh, doing it under the radar, it, but it makes it in local papers. You know, a buddy of mine who runs a, a, uh, county paper has told me that the county papers are actually doing pretty good. Uh, The county papers are actually um, still making money because people, particularly grandparents, they want to see their their kids' 4-H pictures. They want to see uh, the local obituaries. They want to find out the local news, the local newspapers, and they may only be weekly newspapers. Some of them are daily newspapers or every other day. Uh, But they still have good subscription bases, and Purdue is getting his name and face in those newspapers around the state, showing that he's been in the community in a way that John Ossoff is not. He's running a very um, uh, Atlanta-centric campaign. Teresa Tomlinson has decided that she's going to run a campaign focused on Columbus, Uh, and there are a lot of Democrats behind the scenes whispering that she has made a very bad mistake at this. See, Columbus, uh, for those of you who, who are listening out of Georgia, give you the geography of Georgia. Uh, Columbus is in the middle west of the state. It is the, the uh, borders Alabama. And there is an interstate uh, that connects I-185, connects Columbus up to LaGrange, Georgia, to Interstate 85. And you can get to Atlanta, but it's, it's an hour and a half, two hour ride. It's two hours from Columbus to Macon, which means it's uh, four and a half to five hours from Savannah. It's three to four hours down to Valdosta. Uh, It's several hours to Rome, uh, to Athens, to Augusta. You just can't get anywhere in Georgia easily from Columbus, and so it's going to cost her more money to run her campaign from Columbus, and she's already got fundraising problems, and so... Democrats are starting to think, you know, maybe we picked the wrong candidate in Teresa Tomlinson, and now she's having meltdowns with staff over fundraising. Uh, she's an opportunist, and the opportunity's losing her. Okay, I mentioned this audio earlier. I, I want to play this audio. Uh, CNN did a uh, swing voter panel in Pennsylvania, and I want to play you this audio here. About it, in a republic. That's wrong. It'll be public. I mean, it'll be on Twitter, I assume, in five minutes. How
1: many people think the impeachment process will hurt President Trump?
4: I think it's going to hurt everyone.
3: Okay,
1: so you think it will hurt President Trump. Is that to say that the other five of you think it will hurt the Democrats?
4: I think it's going to hurt everyone.
1: I think when you splash uh, mud,
4: it hits everyone. Yeah. And again,
1: they're not going to get nothing done because
4: they're doing all this worrying about these hearings and impeachment. To
1: be fair, 490 Bills have been passed by the House and 65, pieces of the
5: out of the 65. sixty-five pieces of but legislation. came out.
4: sixty-five
1: pieces of legislation because a lot of things are come.
4: coming out of the House and then dying in the Senate. Absolutely, because
2: right. right. they won't work together. There's
5: literally
4: no compromise. Anymore. Yeah, right. The compromise is not a thing.
1: Compromise? Yes. yes. <laughs>
4: no one's supposed yes. to win all the time. Right. Everyone, from a we, business perspective, you why? compromise. You don't I walk away. Most every of time. us are you mothers,
1: win. and we want everyone to work together. Yes. Yes. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay a recognition that impeachment is just going to grind things further to a halt. But then there's this, and this is getting all sorts of buzz here. And I I just, let me play this small clip to you. That is a good one.
1: Fantabulous. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so Crystal, is there anything that he could do or anything that could happen that would make you not vote for him? No. If he shot someone on Fifth Avenue, would you vote for him? You'd have to know why he shot him. Yeah, why did he shoot him? (laughs) <laughs> that silence Okay. and
0: tomorrow we will hear
1: from that same
0: <laughs> yeah they're like uh tomorrow we'll hear from more of those people listen listen you've got a bunch of voters here this is being so badly mischaracterized I, and i've got I, good friends of mine are like see this is a cult this is a cult i'm willing to concede there are some seriously cult-like aspects to support for president trump just as there were for barack obama there are some people who can concede that he does no wrong, but I'm watching this CNN panel and this discussion and a lot of them are saying, you know, I don't like the media. I'm willing to be on the media. I'm willing to be on TV, but I'm not going to play the media game. So when you've got Allison Camerata uh, saying if he shot someone on Fifth Avenue and two of them, it was two panelists, not just one, two said we'd have to know why he shot him. That sounds like voters who have been thinking about this for a while and they don't want to play the media gotcha game. It doesn't sound like they're giving Trump a pass. It sounds like they don't want to play the media gotcha game. Now, I don't know what's in their minds, but it's amazing to me the number of people who have rushed out and said, proof, it's a cult, it's a cult, it's a cult. I don't don't know that uh, that answer means it's a cult. I certainly do think there are aspects of defenses of President Trump that are from a personality cult. Uh, I do, and it concerns me greatly uh, that there are some people who will defend everything he does, no matter how dumb it is. Uh, and But there are also people who will attack everything he does, no matter how smart it is. There are people who cannot credit the president for anything. That is a cult as well. That is part of a personality cult. Uh, we can move on from this. Uh, I, I, I want to spend just a little bit of time on two completely unrelated stories. Now I, I, I need to, I need to set this up for you uh, as trust me. I'm a professional. I'm going to take two completely unrelated stories and I'm going to put them together. The first is about Kanye West. Uh, this is from discern um, at Daniel Payne at discern writes, Kanye West, Jesus is king the rapper's long-awaited new gospel album debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Number one. On Tuesday, every single one of the songs from Jesus is King debuted on the Hot 100 Billboard chart. Follow God rose the highest on the charts, peaking at number seven. Jesus is Lord came in at 62. All the other songs fell between. Kanye told the radio station beats one on Apple music that he is quote on the planet to be in service and in fear, love and service to God. Um, let me, let's see. Yeah. The, so the album is number one in the top 25 were a and on God um God is and use this gospel were 36 and 37. Everything we need was 33. Water was number 50, hands on was 59. Every hour was 44. Jesus' is Lord is 62. Every single one of his songs was there. Uh, someone on Twitter who uh, says she used to be a, a adult stripper and um, now is not. She turned herself over to, to the Lord. She says on Twitter, I used to strip dance to the song Gold Digger by Kanye West. Now, years later, I'm praising and worshiping the Lord while listening to his album, Jesus is King. You are never too far gone. God will call you, appoint you, and work through you to bring him glory. That was what this uh, f- former stripper Uh, wrote on Twitter again, every single song on Kanye West's new album is in the top 100. Every single song, the album itself is number one in the nation. Now there's another story completely unrelated. I am a professional. Trust me, bear with me. I can do this the media is recirculating uh, the Popeye's fried chicken sandwich story. It, it came back out on Sunday and uh, the media is giddy about this. In fact, there's a huge story in one of the news outlets and I didn't link it, but I saw it. It was, uh, might've been business insider. Don't hold me to, or the LA times. I can't remember. Uh, I look at a lot of media in the morning, but essentially that, um, Chick-fil-A is for white people and Popeye's is for black people. And if you're someone who um, if you're someone who doesn't like Christianity, go eat at Popeye's. You can get a better chicken sandwich. If you don't like the Jesus freak nature of Chick-fil-A, go to Popeye's. In fact, what the media is doing is they're essentially trying to turn the battle of the chicken sandwich into a secular sectarian war not a violent war, mind you, but, but a war of consumer opinion. The, the media plays into the stories of the secular left hating Chick-fil-A. The media plays up stories of Chick-fil-A moving into areas and makes heroes of city councilmen around the nation who decide to block Chick-fil-A because they, they, some, they used to say, but they used to actually say this used to be their excuse. Well, we don't like that Chick fil A's not open on a Sunday and so we don't want it in our airport because it would be one less place people could eat on a Sunday and they'd be taking up sales and we could put in a McDonald's and they'd be open on Sunday and people would be able to, they used to say that sort of stuff. Now they just say, Well, we don't want Chick fil A in our airport because they're bigoted, discriminatory homophobes who give to the Salvation Army and fellowship of Christian athletes, do bad organizations. I mean that that's actually their excuse. That they've moved from the one to the other. It used to be uh they're closed on Sunday. Sunday, and now Kanye West has a song about him being closed on Sunday. And and now it's it's well, they're just a bunch of bigots, and we don't like them. They're Christians. And the Popeye's chicken sandwich has come back out. It made a big splash the first time, and it, it, the media, you would think they hadn't encountered the Popeyes chicken sandwich the first go-round in the stories. I'm old enough to remember well, a couple of months ago when this champ sandwich first came out, it was a hit. They sold out, they had to stop the sale, and now they brought it back. And the media is like, oh, you don't have to go to Chick-fil-A, you're saved. Now, obviously, the underlying current between these two stories is faith. Kanye West has a gospel album out. It is a gospel album where he has some theologically accurate lyrics. I mean, I, I've, I'm have in seminary. I, I've, I've read through. I, I'm shocked. He had a pastor friend help him on his lyrics uh, to make sure they were theologically sound. If this, it, the media continued to talk about Taylor Swift's woke album for weeks after Taylor Swift's woke album came out. Her latest album, it, it's not very good. My my fourteen year old loves her, some Taylor Swift, but having listened to this new album several times, she she I mean she likes it. She listens to it, just not as popular with her as her older stuff. And and part of it with her is that she says even at 14, she has used Taylor Swift as an escape from my job, talking politics, uh, from politics around us, uh, and now she can't avoid it with Taylor Swift. The media loves it. Taylor Swift has finally come out as one of them. She's come out as a member of La Résistance. They love it. And for weeks they talked about it, never mind that it didn't sell very well, never mind that uh, there was blowback for her now coming out into politics and and pushing anti-Trump stuff and anti-Republican stuff and anti-conservative stuff. The media absolutely loved it. It, it. It didn't sell as well as her past albums, and they didn't really want to talk about that. Here comes Kanye West with an album that is explicitly Christian. I mean, there, there's no dancing around it. This is a Christian album by an artist who says he's had a conversion. He is now uh, Christian and he wants to dedicate himself to serving the Lord. His, his lyrics are theologically sound lyrics. He's got an ode to Chick-fil-A. He talks about not living for culture, but living for God, uh, raise up your children, raise up your sons in particular to challenge culture, to not live for culture, but to live for God, to do the right thing, not the convenient thing, not the popular thing talks about his his past sins and, and how he's failed people and failed himself and failed God and needs to apologize and make amends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the media does not want to talk about it. It is the number one album in America. Every single song on that album is in the top 100 on Billboard, and the media has moved on to a chicken sandwich. And the reason the media has moved on to a chicken sandwich is because that chicken sandwich is expensive expressly, exceedingly, explicitly, frankly, in competition with that Christian chicken restaurant. And in so being, and in so doing, there is something the media can use to point to and say, Hey, we need more Popeye's, less Chick-fil-A. Popeye's isn't a homophobic, bigoted Christian organization that supports family charities. If you can't see the bias in this stuff, I'm afraid I can't help you. If you can't see the bias in this stuff, I suspect there may be a bias that you have. The media is a secular institution hostile to people of faith, hostile to things of faith, hostile to the values of people of faith, and is willing to speak truth to power and take on subjects that are uncomfortable and awkward. So long as it does not impact the bottom line of the media organization, the biases are not just in what stories are covered, but what stories are not covered. The bias is in how stories are covered. The bias is in the profit margin of the media. Don't believe me. Have you heard
4: this? I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we that also quashed the story and then um and then alan dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes she told me everything she had pictures she had everything she was in hiding for 12 years we convinced her to come out we convinced her to talk to us um it was unbelievable what we had clinton we had everything I I tried for three years to get it on to no avail, and now it's all coming out, and it's like these new revel- revelations, and I freaking had all of it. I, I I was so pissed right now. Like every day, I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my god, we it was um, what what we had was unreal.
0: They had it all. And uh, by the way, do you know what the the spin is from media watchers today? Uh, Brian Settler at CNN and the like is is the poor media here are the victims. I mean, that's that's actually the spin. Uh, How dare Jeffrey Epstein hire lawyers and those lawyers try to silence the press? That was in Brian Settler's morning email at CNN on this. Taking the ABC News spin that it was, it was the lawyers. We, we had to make sure the story was vetted, and the lawyers impeded us. We, we couldn't make sure the story was vetted. Uh, we, we couldn't run the story. In the same way, nobody wants to hold NBC News accountable. Nobody wants to hold NBC News accountable over Harvey Weinstein and the Ronan Farrow book. The rest of the media is covering for NBC News. They're now covering for ABC News and CNN, dismissing this story, saying that this is all being blown out of proportion. Here's a reporter who had everything on Epstein three years ago, had it all, and she and a- ABC News are somehow the victims because James O'Keefe, a right-wing troll, helpfully labeled by CNN, got this video and exposed it. How are they the victims? They're not. They didn't want to impact ratings. They wanted an interview with William and Kate and were afraid Buckingham Palace would block it if they tied Epstein to uh, Prince Andrew. It was all about ratings all about market share, all about gain, all about the sweeps. It had nothing to do with what's right or wrong. It had nothing to do with talking truth to power. You see, they had less credibility in the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. And ABC News and NBC News and CBS News and CNN and MSNBC, they were willing to run with that. The New Yorker, they were willing to run with the unsubstantiated allegations against Brett Kavanaugh where the star witnesses had no witnesses to back them up. All of the names of people who could back them up couldn't back them up. But yet this, they had the pictures, they had the evidence, they had the documents, they had it all, and they wouldn't run it. They were willing to extend protections to a pedophile. They were not willing to extend to Brett Kavanaugh because they are uniformly liberal. They are uniformly of the left. They are uniformly in the tank for the Democratic Party. They're only willing to talk truth to power if the power has an R next to it. Otherwise, they protect and they defend. And this is why so much of the American public does not like the media, does not trust the media. And the very same media that is willing to cover for a pedophile so that they don't lose access to the rich and powerful is the very same media that's willing to pick winners and losers in a chicken sandwich war because one of those organizations happens to have owners who are explicit about their faith. It's the very same media that will refuse to cover a groundbreaking world-famous artist because his latest album is about God and theologically correct. Do you think that if Kanye West, if he were to come out with, with a, a postmodern uh, God album and it was all spiritual self-help in the style of Oprah Winfrey or Rob Bell as opposed to Theologically Accurate, what do you think the media reaction would be? They would be dancing in the streets for, for woke theology, Kanye West. They would be talking about this months from now. If his album didn't clear the top 200, they would be talking about how the Christians in this country are, are bigoted boycotters of a black rapper. But no, nope. they don't want to talk about it at all because it's theologically sound. To the extent they want to talk about Chick-fil-A, it's to disparage it in contrast to something like Popeye's. And it's the exact same media that'll go after Brett Kavanaugh, a Catholic conservative Supreme Court nominee, with unsubstantiated rumors while they have the substantial rumors substantiated by victims with Jeffrey Epstein. And oh my gosh, we can't run this story. It might hurt us getting interviews with other people. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I don't know. Where is this? Um, Some airport on the messaging system. Um, (laughs) There's a messaging screen. Wait, 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 wait. San Diego International Airport. That's where it is. On the messaging screen. Uh, Airport is paging Epstein cover-up. Please meet your party at Terminal Two East by American Airlines. (laughs) That's the the sound you hear is is that somebody has this up on Twitter? They're recording it. Airport is paging Epstein cover up. Please meet your party at Terminal Two East by American Airlines. (laughs) Y'all, I'm sorry. Uh, Maybe I should laugh at this stuff, but I just I find it absolutely hysterical. So. so when I was on my guys weekend, I apparently at some point in the middle of the night texted the group that I was with. <laughs> I can't believe I did this. Um, I, I, my tweet read or my text to the group read something along the lines of guys. I think I've had too much to drink and Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> I thought it was funny. They, they very much thought it was funny. Um, I'm going to have to do that again, but this, this Epstein stuff, listen, the more we know about it, I, listen, I am not a conspiracy theorist. And I realize that's like when someone says I'm not a racist and then they say racist stuff after the butt. Uh, yeah, I get that, but I am, I'm hugely dismissive of conspiracy theories and I don't know that there's anything more than Jeffrey Epstein committing suicide. You can't help look at everything, though, and think this is going to be an unsolved mystery. This is going to be like Jimmy Hoffa. What happened to Jimmy Hoffa? What actually happened to Jeffrey Epstein? The doctor comes out from the autopsy and says that uh, the the bruising and the bone uh, fragmentation uh, from his strangulation looked more like murder than suicide. The camera, there, there was no camera. Someone was asleep. It's just it really is convenient that all of these things happened with Jeffrey Epstein, particularly when it was obvious that if he had the goods on so many people, people were going to be out to get him. So I find the, this, and it is, you need to understand, this is coming from like Reddit and 4chan. It's trolls who are firing this up, and, and it swept into the popular consciousness again. Uh, someone I saw, that there are all these viral photos coming out that someone apparently at a, at a Target rearranged the stockings. Maybe it was Photoshopped. I don't know, but the rearranged the stockings. Uh, you know, the stockings that have the initial on them, so you can get, if your name starts with an A, you can get the stocking that has an A, et cetera. Someone rearranged them to spell out, uh, Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> I mean, I find it very funny, and I realize it originated from dark res- resource recesses of the Internet and spilled out into popular culture. But this whole uprising of the American people over calling BS on the story, I actually find it rather refreshing to see people rising up and saying, hey, we, we need more than what we've got on the story. Clearly, there's a there there. Y'all, I would like to thank Quip for sponsoring this week's show. Y'all, I love my Quip toothbrush. I bragged about it forever. I continue to brag about Quip because it is a great toothbrush. In fact, I took a trip this past weekend. My Quip went with me, obviously. It goes with me everywhere. And I really do get two minutes of brushing my teeth. Now, if you're not familiar with Quip, Quip is actually, it's the size of a regular toothbrush. It works on two AAA batteries. They send you the battery or one AAA battery. They send it with the Quip. And it just works. Your toothbrush gives you great sonic vibrations for two minutes. It pulses for every 30, every 30 seconds It pulses so that, you know, to switch it around in your mouth to to get an even brushing. My dentist, my orthodontist, they both think I've been bleaching my teeth. I haven't. I've just been brushing really, really well because the quip vibrations are great to clean and the pulse makes sure that I know I've got two minutes to go. It turns itself off after two minutes and it makes sure that I'm getting an even cleaning by, by pulsing every 30 seconds as I switch it around. If you haven't quite tri- qu- bleh, haven't tried Quip, let me slow down. If you haven't tried Quip, you should. You really, actually should. Uh, it's a great toothbrush. I've tried the hundred-dollar supersonic toothbrushes. Nothing comes close to the Quip toothbrush. Nothing has incentivized me to get a two-minute brush into my teeth like Quip. You'll find that's the case with you, my wife, my kids. We've all got Quips. Quip starts at just $25. You can get your first refill free at getquip.com slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. It's a simple way to support the show. It's a simple way to get a better toothbrush. You go to getquip.com. Getquip.com/Erickson, and you'll get a refill free. Your brush head every three months. They'll send you a new one. Your first one will be free. Go right now to Getquip. Getquip.com/Erickson. Take advantage of this great deal. Thanks to Quip for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia, around the nation and the world on Facebook Live. You can go to E.W. on Facebook.com to see the live feed if you want or you stay where you are if you're listening, uh, tuning in around the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you want to call in and say hi, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Although you better not call in just to say hi, because my call screener will get snippy with you if you do that. Uh, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. And (sighs) we need to talk about getting naked. No, 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 just 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 bear with me here. Bear with me here environmentalists this is the latest claim from environmentalists if we all stripped and stopped wearing clothes we would be improving the environment we'd be improving the environment because many of us wear synthetic fabrics Uh, among other things um, we, we would all be better off hold that thought while i tell you that the hour of this program is sponsored by dynamic money today Awkward transition for Mr. Chris Burns' company. Uh, Dynamic money, though, seriously. uh, Let me tell you real quick about dynamic money. Uh, I use them. I'm actually a customer. I was a customer before sponsoring the show, um, you know who Dave Ramsey is. He really is. The, the Chris Burns is in Atlanta, and he's a financial advisor, and he doesn't charge commissions for his advice. Uh, he does it at flat fee. He will manage money for you and takes a fee for managing your money, but essentially he's a physician, uh, like a general physician, who makes sure your mortgage guy, your insurance guy, your lawyer guy, your financial advisor, or your your investment guy, they're all working together uh, for your interest. And he gets a flat fee. He's doing... Doing it because he believes in it, and, and he's giving you the best advice he can. He's not going to try to sell you something and make a commission off of you. He let you still use your insurance guy, still use your investment guy, still use your lawyer guy, still use your your, your you name it, uh, auto, life, whoever. Uh, and he just tries to help you build a long-term plan uh, for financial growth and success. And he's been helping my wife and me. We we still had I still got college loans and law school loans uh, from years ago. And he's helping us devise a plan to be able to pay that stuff off earlier to get rid of outstanding credit card debt, to uh, build some funds to pay for expected medical bills and stuff, and stuff I would have never even thought of. Uh, and, and he's able to – and, man, it, it makes me mad that he's got that much good business sense that I don't. But I uh, highly recommend Dynamic Money. You can go to dynamicmoney.com. Uh, you can talk to Chris or one of the people who works with Chris. If you're struggling with money, if it is a burden for you every month uh, and you're stressed out about it, you should seriously call Dynamic Money uh, and let them work with you on a on a financial health plan and get everything. Look at your they do a huge holistic overview of all of your investments, your retirement, uh, your your debts, and figure out ways to pay down the debts and save money. I, I they've it has been a godsend for Christian me to work with Chris. We we started to go to the Dave Ramsey route, um, and we had a lot of friends who have, and Chris would actually let us use a credit card with a sound strategy to deal with it. A um, little more flexibility than the Dave Ramsey situation, and yet we are starting to pay off all sorts of debts and build some savings that we had not been able to do thanks to Chris. Um, and he's become a good friend, too. Highly highly recommend DynamicMoney.com. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show as well. Um, in fact, we're about to pick them up for a long-term advertising deal, I think. So thanks to them. Okay. I, I saw a story yesterday. Uh, it was from the Huffington post and yeah, we'll get into the naked stuff. It's all related. Trust me. Uh, there was a story from the Huffington post yesterday and it was about Thanksgiving and how maybe people need to stop celebrating Thanksgiving in the traditional way. Because do, do you know what the, uh, carbon footprint of a Turkey is a, 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 not a, not a Turkey you out into the woods and hunt. Um, but a Turkey that, uh, has a huge carbon footprint And is a turkey that, well, it causes all sorts of pollution. It is a turkey that uh, has a higher carbon footprint than if you went vegetarian. And you can have all the vegetarian meals. I'm trying to find it. I didn't pull it up earlier. If I sound like I'm rambling, that's what I'm doing. I'm sorry. Um, eh, No big deal. Can't find it. Um, Nope. Here it is. The environmental impact of your Thanksgiving dinner. When it comes, this is the subtitle. When it comes to the turkey and traveling to the feast, there's good news and there's bad news. In 2015, the U.S. and 196 other countries signed the Paris Climate Agreement, of which President Trump is now pulling us out of, with the goal of limiting the increase of of carbon emissions. Blah, 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 blah. It turns out your food isn't the biggest holiday culprit of carbon dioxide emissions. Traveling for the meal is. No one should be discouraged from enjoying the holiday or celebrating with family and friends, but we're here to provide insight into the ingredients and dishes that have the largest ecological impact. The researchers we interviewed shared suggestions and alternative ingredients that cause less environmental damage consider taking the turkey out of turkey dinner. Meat and meat byproducts like cheese, butter, and heavy cream have a larger environmental footprint than plant-based ingredients. According to research done by Carnegie Mellon University, the carbon footprint of a 16-pound turkey creates a total of 34.2 pounds of carbon dioxide, the same amount produced by turkey gravy, cranberry sauce, roasted Brussels sprouts, mashed potatoes, rolled biscuits, and apple pie combined! But turkey's better than other meat-like beef. Turkeys themselves are pretty efficient in getting them grown. What about if you smoke it? That's not contemplated here. I smoke my turkey... I have a large Big Green Egg. I want a Rectech. Uh, if you if you live in the Augusta area, if you're listening, I, I'm a, I'm really interested in Rectech. Now, Big Green Egg is a little more difficult because Rectech is like a Traeger, but better built. Uh, if you're looking for a Traeger, you should go over to Augusta uh, to Rectech. They're not a sponsor of the show. I'm just telling you, I've been looking at them. I've been drooling over them. I'm not going to get one. My wife would murder me if I got a Rectech, um, but they're awesome. And I really, really do want one. They have a BFG. It's a big, (laughs) big freaking grill, I guess we can say. Um, And I'm thinking I have visions of I could feed my whole neighborhood. I can smoke lots of meat. I can take it to the office and take it to family and friends. I probably never would, but I really love the idea of it. But I smoke my turkey and my big green egg. I got a large big green egg, and I bet it has a bigger carbon footprint than the roasted turkey. And I don't care. And you shouldn't either. I mean the, the the idea that this is becoming a religion, and I I hope you see that. I don't say that flippantly. Um, there, yeah, buddy of mine texted me. You don't fry your turkey? Honest to goodness, uh, I don't fry my turkey, and I don't actually like fried turkey. I mean, I will eat fried turkey, but I, I'm just I'm not as big a fan of fried turkey as I am the smoked turkey. And one of the big reasons, uh, honestly, is because uh, I I just when I was growing up. I, we always had a smoked turkey, and it's just it's it's kind of a taste of home for me, and it, it's it's a taste of a past life. And now I'm at the age where I have figured out how to master smoked turkey. By the way, you know what the secret uh, of smoked turkey is? Is uh, you lay a uh, gallon Ziploc bag full of ice cubes on the breasts uh, for 40 minutes before you put it on the smoker. And the reason is you got to lower the breast temperature because the dark meat cooks uh, higher. Uh, It has to be hotter than the breast. So if you lower the temperature of the breast by putting an ice pack on it before you put it on the smoker, even in the oven, uh, or even in the fryer for that matter, lower the temperature of the breast meat, well, then it takes it longer to come up temperature. By the time it comes up temperature, the the dark meat gets up to temperature, and so you have an even turkey. The breast isn't overcooked uh, to, to get up to the ice. There's your tip. By the way, uh, text RECIPE to 33777 as I start trotting out the, the Thanksgiving recipes uh, starting today, as a matter of fact. Um, text RECIPE to 33777. In any event, uh, this was not a dissertation in Turkey. That was very random. Uh, But the left now uh, wants you to go green. Uh, They want you to embrace uh, walnuts, chestnuts, mushrooms, and more to give yourself the flavor of red meat that you can combine them all into little patties and make a synthetic meat, if you will. I'm sure we're going to get the impossible turkey brought to you by the people who brought you the impossible burger. And I'm not going to eat it. And there's no reason for you to eat it either. It's bad. And I shouldn't say so. You know, they had to figure out synthetic hemoglobin. That was the hang up on these um, the the various uh, synthetic meats is they decided that for you to believe it was meat, your tongue needed to be able to taste uh, cooked hemoglobin. uh, Hemoglobin. Uh, blood essentially cooked blood uh, you needed to have that feel that that savory sensation in your mouth to trick your brain into thinking these fake meats were real meats. and so it's all a it's it's a process grown in a laboratory which by the way means it's not very carbon neutral. I mean there's your thing your you' in your synthetic meats actually aren't good for the environment and if they're good for the environment, they're not good for you, they're synthetic. For years nutritionists have been telling us we got to walk around the perimeter of the grocery store, go to the produce, go to the meats, go to the dairy, leave all the stuff in the middle, that stuff's bad for you. And now we're supposed to forget about the farms and and the farmers and and the the butchers and we're supposed to just get the synthetic crap grown in a lab. And that's everyone knows isn't as good for us, but it's for the environment. There's another story out today that this gets back to the naked people that we need to stop wearing clothes. Jane Fonda. I do not want to see Jane Fonda out without clothes on. Oh, my Lord. I don't want to see that. Uh, But Jane Fonda is saying she's going to give up clothes to save the environment. Everybody's going to go naked. To save the environment, y'all don't want to see me naked. To save the environment, uh, y'all would rather that we all die in a fiery inferno uh, than see me naked. Just trust me on that. You don't want to. You don't want to see that. Uh, we we don't need to see you that way either. And uh, apparently now we all need to stop wearing clothes to save the environment. We need to give up the turkey. We need to give up Thanksgiving. We need to give up our clothes. And now we need to give up our lives. Uh, there are scientists out there now. There was a story. Oh, where is it? I, I had this. Um, um 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 um. Do I have it in my Slack group that's open right now? Maybe I I, I guess I don't have it. Say, saying the things that should not be said in public. Uh, several scientists have come out and said, you know, we could actually use with less people. We could actually use less people. They want to cut the birth rate and they want to increase euthanasia. Yeah, that's right. You, you know who's really upset about China banning its one-child policy? Uh, the Western left. The Western left. Now, China has actually, uh, if for PR purposes, China has uh, given up the one-child policy, but it is still in, enforced in parts of the country. The government still encourages its enforcement. They still bring up the abortion vans to women who have more than one child. You can now have two in China, apparently. But you go over that, the abortion van is going to come up, and you're going to get an abortion whether you want it or not. They'll force it on you. They will kill your child. It's very interesting to see how the left is exposing themselves as historic Malthusians. Um, Malthus, you will recall, believed that uh, the world was going to die in famine because we were going to have so many people on the planet and we wouldn't have all the resources. And yet we've adapted. And, you know, this is the thing that bothers me most about the environmental movement. These are a group of people who believe in evolution. They do not believe in God. They believe in science. Uh, They believe these things by faith. And somehow uh, the genius of humanity escapes them the ability of humanity to adapt to present circumstances escapes them. There are now worrywart scenarios of of half the world drowning. Major coastal cities are all going to be underwater by 2050. It's something out of that bad Kevin Costner movie, Waterworld. All all the big cities on the planet are going to be underwater. You know, the Netherlands is already below sea level, and they've been able to save their cities through locks and dams and other things. They've been able to to save their cities. They've been able to do things uh, that others have not, and somehow we believe that the rest of the world can't because their third world it's a very bigoted sense these third world countries can't actually do these things that the western world can so the western world should give up everything to save the 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 rest but if you read the research if they're right we're too far gone why can't we adapt i mean i i just i i I need to ask this question And, and everyone the environmentalists get very very defensive on this why can't we adapt now they say well because we're going to create an ever ever growing feedback loop and that ever growing feedback loop is going to make situations worse but miracle of miracles we as a society have over time been able to to stem the tide of environmental damage and catastrophe by adapting and innovating Why do we presume now that people aren't adapting and innovating? There there are are stories after stories of American corporations and others who are willing to go out and, like Apple, um, be carbon neutral or uh, actually uh, net negative on carbon. That is that they use so many resources that are uh, renewable energy sources that they're actually they're helping the environment through what they're doing. And they're doing it without government mandate. They're doing it without the government controlling. Now, a lot of these companies, because it's expensive, they actually want the government to mandate it as a form of competition. They want every other company to have to pony up. They've ponied up, so now let the government bully everyone else into doing it as well. It's a virtue signaling idea that actually doesn't work very well long term unless they can get the government to force everyone else to go along with them. But some companies, Apple being one of them, they are innovating. They are trying to innovate. They are trying to think differently. They are trying to do new things, and they're doing it without government mandate. They're doing it without government control. They're doing it because they think it's the right thing to do. And the idea from the environmentalist movement is that we can't do that. The government's got to force it. The government's got to abandon capitalism. The government's got to force us to give up our Thanksgiving turkeys. The government's got to force us to walk around naked and get sunburned. The government's got to force us to die in order to save the planet. Is a planet worth saving if we can't live on it? That's that's the argument from environmentalists. The planet's not going to be there for us. But is a planet worth saving if the solution is for us to all die? Because that seems to be the ever-growing argument from the resurgence of the Malthusians who think there need to be less of us. And you know what's happening, interestingly enough, that people want to ignore, people want to forget, people don't want to notice? Is the birth rate of the entire world is declining even in african nations and south american nations and and southeast asian nations the birth rate is beginning to decline the united nations says we may hit 10 billion people on the planet by 2100 and then it's going to be downhill from there now can we get into what i personally think that's going to really make people mad um, I believe there's a God I believe there's a heaven and a hell And I believe there will be a last day And Jesus will come back And we're not going to be on this planet forever But I do think if you're a person of faith You've got an obligation to tend the garden To be good stewards But yeah I'm I'm not going to tell people Yeah we need to have less people And we need to give up our turkey And we need to give up our clothing And we need to give up our way of life When we can adapt until the second coming Whenever that may be a thousand years from now or tomorrow, who knows, but we got to abandon everything we like in life and have innovated to get to because some environmentalists, new religion says we've got to No, I don't think so. If we believe in the separation of church and state, let's believe in the separation of environmentalism and state because it's become a religion in and of itself. Can we talk about mythology for a bit? I have so gone off everything that I wanted to talk about today, but uh, let me let me talk about prevailing mythology um, in the media because I see something a buddy of mine just pointed out. Um, so in Kentucky, Matt Bevin lost. Uh, he did not lose because of Donald Trump. He lost because of Matt Bevin. Matt Bevin, let me tell you a story about Matt Bevin, uh, who I know I like. Uh, I, I supported him against Mitch McConnell when he ran for the Senate. Uh, then he he ran for governor. I didn't support him for governor. I, I, I mean, he was running at 10% in the polls. And of the two candidates who were actually ahead, uh, there was one that I liked. So I supported that guy and, and they wound up killing each other. And Bevin ran up the middle and won. Um, but I was happy that he did. I, it's not like I disliked him. So two years ago, uh, we did our resurgent gathering conference in Austin, Texas. And Bevin was the very first person to commit to come. Uh, he was willing to come. He was, uh, the, the way that we always work the gathering is the speakers pay their own way. And we put them on stage. They, they sit down for 30 minutes with me. We ask them questions and we're good to go. And Bevin was willing to do it. And we advertise, we put his name out there. We made sure everybody knew he was coming. And a month out from the conference, less than a month out from the conference, we had ads running and everything. And Bevan's team calls and says, well, the governor still wants to come, but you're going to have to pay for him to come price tickets like all right we can we can fly in first class we got enough money in the budget and i told them and they said nope nope it's got to be a private jet excuse me and they're like yeah we've decided he spent too much time out of kentucky you've got to fly him in a private jet and then send him back in a private jet well we obviously weren't going to do that so we had to, to redo our ads, uh, redo the programming, redo all of that um, because we can no longer inv- have the governor of Kentucky. And I have heard so many similar stories from so many people uh, about Bevan in that sense. Um, now, what's so interesting here, though, is that uh, Bevan decided to wage war on cultural issues, including trans sports among boys and girls. And the media today is pushing out, saying, oh, no, this, this, this. Clearly, the trans issue isn't working for social conservatives uh, because Bevin lost. No, it had everything to do with Bevan, and it, you're not going to galvanize social conservatives to vote for a guy who has otherwise um, angered a large segment of that community by his failure to engage the community. And yet the left is, is determined to make this a prevailing issue now and a mythology, uh, very much like the immigration issue on, on the right and the left among elites, uh, that uh, the, the hicks and the rubes hate it, but it's necessary and good and, and will win us new people. And it always blows up in their face. This will blow up in the left's face if they decide it's a, if it's a mythology that they're going to embrace, that somehow expanded trans rights will save them and win them and help them build ground. It's not going to help them. Uh, And if they really want to try it, go for it in 2020 and see what happens out there. You know, I'm not a big fan of Mitch McConnell, um, but it's interesting to me to see the rush of people out uh, to um, say that Mitch McConnell is toast in 2020 because of Matt Bevin this year. They clearly don't understand. Uh, what actually is going on in Kentucky and they just hate Mitch McConnell. Um, I I need to tell you something that has happened. I've avoided the subject, uh, and I've avoided the subject in large part because, um, oh, here's breaking news. Sorry. Breaking news happening right now. The wall street journal reporting the house intelligence committee will hold its first public impeachment hearings next week, according to Adam Schiff. Well, this relates to that real clear investigations is run a story uh, naming who they say is the whistleblower and i've avoided it because it's a it's a single story and no one else has done it now there are reasons that no one has wanted to out the whistleblower uh Rand paul has made a big deal about outing the
5: whistleblower can we just talk about the whistleblower seems to me to be incredible that we should be even thinking about removing this president from office on the basis of an anonymous whistleblower and a phone call to ukraine what's your opinion well the sixth amendment is pretty clear it's part of the constitution part of the bill of rights and it says that you get to confront your accusers and so i think it's very clear that the only constitutional mandate here is is that if someone's going to accuse you of something that might remove the president from office for goodness sake shouldn't they come forward and present their accusations in person but here's the second thing now that we know who the whistleblower is we know that the whistleblower was involved with joe biden at the time that hunter biden was receiving all this money from a ukrainian oligarch so really the whistleblower is a material witness as to the corruption with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. So that whistleblower needs to come forward simply as a material witness, really having nothing to do with the fact that they are or are not the whistleblower. So I think that this person needs to be subpoenaed, and I suspect that it is going to happen. It's going to be in the public, and that there will be a subpoena, uh, at least a, an attempt to get a subpoena. And the question is are the Democrats going to allow a process where we can discover? the president wanting this information on under Biden, whether or not there really was corruption involved. Really?
0: The whistleblower's name is starting to trickle out from numerous news outlets. Yasser Ali, who is a, uh, he's written for the New York Magazine. He's written for the Huffington Post. He has confirmed from multiple sources uh, that the um, the whistleblower uh, has been named. Uh, Charmella is his last name, and he said it was from multiple people. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. sent out a tweet naming uh, that individual as well as the whistleblower. Uh, this is now coming from multiple sources, and Yasser Ali, highly respected reporter, uh, saying he's confirmed it from multiple sources. And um, Jake Tapper, however, saying that the whistleblower's attorney... Uh, on a member of the president's family tweeting out a story on a pro Trump website, allegedly naming the whistleblower says identifying any name for the whistleblower will simply place that individual in their family at risk of serious harm. We will not confirm or deny any name that is published, but we will note publication does nothing other than show the desperation of a partisan crowd to deflect from the substance of the whistleblower's complaint. It most certainly will not relieve the president of the need to address the substantive allegations, all of which have been substantially proven to be true. So a Rand Paul is saying, we gotta, we gotta hear from the whistleblower and now we've got Donald Trump Jr. Naming the whistleblower. We've got uh Yasser Ali. Uh, it looks like I'm looking at his Twitter feed now and it appears he has now deleted his original tweet, um, naming the whistleblower. Let me see if it's in his comments section, uh, as opposed to if it's tweets and replies. Um, I, yep, it looks like it's there. Uh, it's on the top of Drudge now, where he says Junior has outed the whistleblower at the top of Drudge. It's it's just very interesting here that the media is dancing around this. If it was a Republican, would they be dancing around it? See, I just I don't believe that they would. I don't believe they would dance around. Uh, the identity of the whistleblower if it was a Republican whistleblower outing someone in, for example, the Obama administration. And they are here. Now, senators have to, and the reason senators have to do it is because uh, whistleblowers have protection. And if someone in the federal government outs them, uh, they can be liable. And senators do have, uh, and, and congressmen have the speech and debate clause protections where they can say stuff on the floor of the House or the Senate and not get into uh, trouble. But uh, they can be expelled or punished or censored in the House or the Senate if they were to do something like that. The media has no such restraints. The media, if they've got multiple sources confirming the identity of a whistleblower, can out the whistleblower, and they're not in this case. And I don't believe them uh, when they say if it was a, if the situa- if the shoe was on the other foot, they would protect the whistleblower. I, I don't believe them at all. I think if the whistleblower were Republican blowing the whistle on the Democrats, uh, the media would destroy that person for the Democrats. And I think that they're protecting the whistleblower, not because of some virtuous um, thing. I mean, look at the Jeffrey Epstein story, for goodness sakes. You got a whistleblower and they wouldn't run her ad because lawyers. Um I think they're protecting the whistleblower because the more we learn about the whistleblower, if it is that person, the whistleblower is hyper-partisan. And the whistleblower has filed numerous complaints in the past, uh, and it makes it look like the whistleblower was trying to throw everything at the wall to see what stuck. And Miracle of Miracles happen to find something that stuck. But I think it undermines the Democrats' case if the whistleblower is a hyper-partisan. Again, this is a political process. The president, for all the people saying, well, the president this is the rule of law, the rule of law. This, he needs to be impeached because the rule of law. This, this is this is not a court of law. This is a political process. The, and what, what's so frustrating to me, and, and I've got a lot of friends of mine, and I don't mean to make anyone mad here. I'm just telling you what I think. I got a lot of friends who are rule of law, rule of law. We, we we need to protect the whistleblower. The president has no right to confront the accuser because this isn't a court. He can hear from other firsthand witnesses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. OK, if it's not a, it's not a court, it's a political process. In the political process, the whistleblower and the partisan motivations of the whistleblower matter. And the Democrats and the media know that. And that's why they're protecting the whistleblower. It has nothing to do with protecting the whistleblower for the sake of the whistleblower. It has everything to do with trying to protect the whistleblower because the whistleblower is a partisan, a hyper-partisan, progressive student activist. If that's the situation. I'm just not willing to say we don't need to hear from the whistleblower. What I, what I find very interesting are, are the people who really double down and say we don't need to hear from the whistleblower are the people who they just want the president gone. And impeachment is quicker than the election, so let's use impeachment to get rid of him. But I I go back, and I don't mean to repeat myself on this issue too much. I don't want to sound like a broken record and just recycle things over and over on the show. I, I know some hosts who you can listen to them one day and the next day listen to them and you think you're hearing yesterday's show. I don't want to be that way. But I really do feel very strongly about this point that we got an election in less than a year. It's a political process, too. Let's use that political process instead of this one. And if we're not, then we need to hear everything we need to hear from the whistleblower. We need to see just how much of a partisan the whistleblower really is. And if the Democrats aren't going to give us that, if they're not going to be able to to let the president confront the accuser, and in fact, it is the president uh, confronting his accuser, It does matter. It absolutely matters. We need to be able to see these things. And if we're not going to, well, then we need to abandon the process because the process is deeply flawed. It's not fair. But let's not kid ourselves on the ultimate issue here of the media protecting the whistleblower because the media wants to protect a partisan. And I really do think that that matters a lot. Now, what also matters a lot in the impeachment is the Sondland testimony. Um, Ambassador Sondland, is now admitting that he delivered a quid pro quo to the Ukrainians, uh, to Ukraine, in, in a way he first denied. He, he suddenly remembers, suddenly remembers to Ambassador Sondland his code for please don't impeach, please don't prosecute me for perjury. I wanted Jeb anyway. You need to understand this about Ambassador Sondland, who is helping the president, who got his job by making a large campaign contribution to the president's inauguration. He was picked for EU ambassador, and he was a Jeb guy. Sondland, put money in the stop Trump effort. He doesn't like Trump, but he's willing to serve Trump. But now the the left is targeting his businesses. He's losing money personally because of the attacks on his boycotts of his hotel chain. And so now he's like, I, I will throw the president under the bus to save myself.
4: Congressman, do you think then he was lying to you on October 17th? Or do you leave open the possibility that As he wrote in the addendum, the two statements from two other officials refreshed his memory about this about this encounter in Warsaw, Poland.
5: Well, I said when the day after I was part of that process in the committee that he was either playing dumb or he was lying through his teeth because many of the things that he was saying back then, which some of which he amended now, Uh were really incomprehensible. And I think that he's someone that's in contact with the with the president. He was in contact with the Ukrainian officials. He knew about Burisma. I think he knew about that. That Hunter Biden was a a member of Burisma, although in the committee hearings he said he didn't find out about that until the very end. This is someone that said that corruption was a major problem in the Ukraine. There's hundreds of companies there that are Mm -hmm. involving corruptions. Yet they selected one company, Burisma, which is the one uh, where Hunter uh, Hunter Biden was affiliated. I think he knew that. I think they targeted, they cherry picked that company, and they wanted to uh, the the Ukrainian government to investigate.
0: yeah, he's right. I, I don't think there's a way to dance around this particular part of the issue. The president has made Burisma a very big issue because it is tied to the Bidens, and he waited until Biden became the a, a Democratic candidate to do it. I absolutely think that matters, and I absolutely think that if the president held up resources, it held up resources to Ukraine that were lawfully passed by Congress, it is impeachable. It is. I don't think there's any way to dispute that. The problem, y'all, is that we're less than a year from the election, and the Democrats are making no pretenses about the fact that they don't care whether you like it or not. They, They don't care that you think they're having a coup. They don't care that you like the president. They hate the president, and they think they finally got something on him impeachment cannot be partisan, I don't think. They've got 19 Republicans in the House of Representatives who are leaving who don't like the president. And the Democrats can't even convince them to come on board. And that should be a red flag to a lot of people that the Republicans aren't taking this process seriously, including the ones who don't like the president. And if they're not taking it seriously, it's got to be something more than about the president. And maybe it has to do with uh, Adam Schiff worked with the whistleblower. The whistleblower is highly partisan. Uh, The whistleblower clearly coordinated with Democrats. The whistleblower has clearly tried to get the president for a while and finally got something. The fact that they don't want to hear from the whistleblower overwhelmingly suggests to me they're trying to protect the whistleblower. And the reason they're trying to protect the whistleblower is not because they're afraid for his life, they're afraid for his job. They are afraid that his background as a partisan activist will undermine the entire thing. And that's why we need to hear from the whistleblower. Maybe the whistleblower actually has something more to say. Maybe the whistleblower actually has legitimate grievance. But right now, it it seems very likely that our entire situation, where we're at today, is premised on a left-wing progressive activist who has never liked the president, wanted to get the president, filed multiple complaints about the president over three years, and finally got him on this. I think the American people need to know that. Because, see, the Republican narrative has been that they've been wanting to get him the whole time. They've been after Trump since the day after he was elected. Remember, their first effort was to try to sabotage the Electoral College. And then suddenly it was Russia did it. It was, it was all Russia's fault, et cetera, et cetera, and on and on. They've been out to undermine the president the entire time. If this guy has been trying to do that the whole time, I think it disrupts the Democratic narrative. I think it shows that, in fact, this is a partisan process. I think it undermines the credibility, even with what they have, even with what people are saying. And I think the fact that so many people who don't like the president are circling the wagons around the whistleblower, it's not for rule of law and it's not for whistleblower protection. It's because they understand as well that it's partisan complaints and a partisan grievance by a partisan activist. And they understand. They want the president gone so bad They've got to shape a narrative that tries to at least make it look like they've not been out to get him the whole time when they have. And I think they're going to undermine themselves in the process. And the whistleblower is going to undermine the process. And the whistleblower needs to come forward now. It's either this guy who's been named or it's not. Either way, much like the guy who wrote the anonymous book needs to come forward, this guy needs to come forward. You know... It's it's fascinating to me. The Los Angeles Times and the New York Times are running stories on this family that was uh, killed in Mexico, murdered by a Mexican cartel. Uh, Here's the headline just out from the New York, from the Los Angeles Times, rather. U.S. victims in Mexico massacre were tied to family with long history of violence. The, um, the New York times is running a story that they're from a fringe. This family's from a fringe Mormon cult or fundamentalist Mormon group. why, why does, why does it matter? I don't have the New York Times story pulled up. I've got the LA Times story pulled up. The The roadside killings of nine U.S. citizens in northern Mexico has brought renewed attention to the scattered communities of Mormons who settled in the country more than a century ago to escape persecution. The three women and 14 children whom assailants ambushed Monday as they drove towards Arizona from the town of... Bavispe in, in Sonora state included descendants of a fundamentalist Mormon community that has lived in the country for decades, early Wednesday, criminal investigators in Northern Mexico said a suspect has been arrested and is under investigation for possible connections with the deaths. A Mexican officials has earlier said the killers may have mistaken the family for members of a rival drug cartel. I'm hearing that may not be the case given um the conditions of some of the bodies, where the killers would have clearly had to have seen they were Americans. Some of the victims shared the last name LeBaron. They were related to a prominent fundamentalist Mormon family. They've lived in colonial LeBaron in Chihuahua state, a community established by fundamentalist Mormons in 1944 that had close ties to the LeBaron's of uh, Bavispe. There are a handful of major groups of fundamentalists as a historian of Mormonism. Why does it matter? You see, what's going on here is the media needs to undermine the credibility of what happened and call into question what was going on because there are growing numbers of Americans who are looking at the situation and saying, do we need to send the military down there? Do we need to send the military Well, if they can undermine the family, if they can undermine the credibility of the family, they may be able to stop Americans from thinking about that. They may be able to make this anomalous, as opposed to what it is, an increasing pattern of violence in Mexico against Americans. It actually is. Uh, There's an increasing uh, pattern of violence against Americans in Mexico. This is a a family. uh, How many again? Three women and 14 children, 17 whom assailants ambushed. Some of them, the children were running away and they were shot and killed in the back of the head or the back as they were fleeing. Others were able to hide. We need to do something. Is the president going to let Americans be murdered by drug cartels in Central America? The violence is spilling over. You know what the Mexican response is? I, I, I'm i not kidding you. I almost used the S word. I'm not kidding you, though. You know what the Mexican response is? The guns came from North America. The guns came from the United States. If, if, if... The American government would have done something to control the guns. Everything would be different. This would not have happened. It's all the American government's fault. That's actually the response. I'm not making that up. That is actually the response of the Mexican authorities. It's our fault because of our gun policies in this country. Most of our guns are coming from the United States, says Mexico. Well, where are they coming from? The United States. They're not coming from, from lawful purchases, Someone's having to buy the guns. Someone is breaking the law to convey the guns to the Mexicans, or the Mexicans are stealing them. They don't want to talk about that. They want to blame us for this. There is historic precedent for the American military going into other countries after Americans have been harmed. It was an outstanding uh, practice within the Roman Empire that if anyone killed a Roman citizen uh, outside of Roman authorities, Rome would march the army in and ruin the land. The United States, Teddy Roosevelt has done this. There was a movie. What was it? Candace Bergen. I can't remember. Um, the movie, uh, about Teddy Roosevelt when an American was held captive in North Africa, sent the American military after him. This is our Southern border. It is in chaos. And the American media has decided that the best course of action to avoid the president taking action is to slander the family so that the president wouldn't want to. To say that the president is somehow bad, the the president is somehow or this family is somehow bad and violent. So I guess they got what they deserved or something. No, this is American citizens murdered in Mexico by Mexican drug cartels. It's time for us to take the fight to the drug cartels. They're clearly taking the fight to us. It's time to stand up and do something on our southern border. Justice demands it. The blood of the victims does, too.